Well, thus far, we've looked at several topics related to the theme of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We've looked at what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ from the standpoint of not just saying that I'm a Christian, but truly putting actions to our words. Um, we then took a couple of weeks to look at what it means to listen to the Holy Spirit and to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Today, I would like to speak to the subject of commitment as it relates to following Jesus. I believe that most of us here today understand the concepts associated with commitment. However, I think if you were to go around the room and ask each of us how it relates to our lives, I'm sure that many different perspectives would come out. So I thought I would just give a couple examples of how commitment, coming from our different perspectives, relates to what we do in life. To an athlete, they are committed to training, to nutrition, to good health, etc. They're willing to submit themselves to the principles of becoming a good athlete. athlete. Uh, they're willing to listen to what their coach is telling them and so forth. They're committed to that, to being the best athlete that they can be. To an accountant, they are committed to making sure the numbers align correctly. To an architect, they are committed to following the blueprints or the specifications of the one ordering the building project. Uh, there's ramifications that are very, very important, and if they don't follow them, there's going to be problems. So they're committed to following the blueprints. To a surgeon, they're committed to knowing how to perform intricate incisions and to repairing incredibly detailed parts of the human body. Can you imagine if they didn't have that commitment? Uh, to a contractor, they're committed to many areas of construction, such as reading a tape measure. You might think that's funny, but there's a bunch that don't know how to read one. To plumbing, to understanding electricity, and a host of other skills that go into a home improvement or building project. They're committed to that. And here's the circumstance. The level of commitment exerted will determine the quality or value of that which is being committed. Let me say that one more time. The level of commitment exerted will determine the quality or value of that which is being committed. Now, let's look at all those circumstances just one more time. What if an athlete says, I want to be the best athlete in the world, but I'm not going to take care of my health. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to go there and try hard on competition day. It doesn't really matter that the coach says, hey, you got to do it this way. Your form has to be this way. I know what I'm doing. I'll just do the best I can on game day. How far do you think he'd get? How well do you think he'd do in the competition? Or the accountant says, hey, we're only off a few hundred dollars. No big deal. It's not that, hey, we're not going to lose sleep over this. Would you want him as your accountant? Or how about that architect who says, hey, I've been doing this a long time. I know the, I, I, I know the guy wants this, and uh, man, skip that. I, I, I know better. I'm going to do what I want. Well, I know, but this will cost this much. He goes, ah, hey, what's a little bit more money, right? Come on, do, do, do the way I want to do it. How long do you think he'd be in business? Or the surgeon. Oh, shoot, I didn't mean to cut there. It's not that big a deal. I mean, let's quick stitch this up here and go on to the, the right organ I'm supposed to deal with. How long do you think he'd be in business? Or that contractor who just says, you know what? Hey, it doesn't matter what's behind this piece of wood, and this happens all the time. It's going to be covered anyway. 
happens all the time. But what if we didn't put a certain level of commitment into everything that we do in life? The level of commitment exerted will determine the quality or value of that which is being committed. So this morning, if I were to say to a Christian, I am committed to, what would that look like? Would it look like what so many people do, or have the, uh, what so many people think is, well, I'm going to church. My commitment as a Christian is that I'm going to give an offering. Or my commitment as a Christian is that I'm going to read my Bible more, or pray, or serve. And then we could make that statement once again. The level of my commitment that I exert will reveal the quality or value of what I'm committing. So if I don't put much commitment into my walk with the Lord, if I don't put much commitment into my words as far as saying that I'm a believer, what does that look like? You see, commitment, and if you look in, the dif- in a dictionary, and I found several different definitions, but basically it means this, a pledge to do something. Dedication to a cause, a promise, or an obligation to keep. The act of binding oneself to fill in the blank. What are we committed to? You see, every one of us in this room, we're committed to something or someone. We really are. And it could be a host of different things. It could be a job. It could be a hobby. It could be our family. It could be any number of things. What or who are we committed to? And what is the level or the uh, impact of our commitment? What is the value of that? I want to look at a couple different verses from God's Word that really talk about this idea. And you won't actually find the word commitment anywhere in Scripture, but you'll find abbreviated words of word commitment, like the word commit, and also you'll see uh, pictures and principles of this throughout the word of God. So the first one I want you to look at this morning is Psalm 37 verse 5. Psalm 37 and verse 5. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. So he says very clearly there is something that we are to commit to the Lord. There's something that we are to be committed for. And what it is here is our way. You say, well, that's really simple. You know, commit your way. But what does that really mean? In the original language, it's the word derech, and it means road, or path, or journey, or direction, or course of life. That word way literally can be interpreted road, path, journey, direction, course of life. So no matter what you are doing in life as far as the path that you are on, the journey that you are taking, the course that you have chosen for your life, regardless of your way, he says, commit it to the Lord. Sometimes we have the idea that God has this mysterious calling that I'm supposed to do this and he's supposed to do that and she's going to do this. But the bottom line is regardless of what your way is, regardless of what path you are on, regardless of the journey that you are taking, God's word says commit it to the Lord. And it's really interesting here because he goes on and furthers that in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. He says this, Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 
And so first of all, he says, commit your way, which has to do with everything that we are doing with our life as far as the journey that we're on. And then he says, commit your activities. And the word activities is the word Messai, which also has several definitions, which means your deeds or your works or your labor or the things that you are doing, your business, your pursuits in life. He says, so really, everything that we are doing while on that journey is also to be committed to the Lord. Now, this verse is a little bit interesting in comparison to the first verse I read. He says, commit your activities, your deeds, your works, your labor, your things that you're doing, your business, your pursuits. Commit them to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, think about this. When we commit our way and everything that we're doing on the way to the Lord, he says, I will establish those plans. Question, who wouldn't want your plans established from the Lord? I mean, in our world that we live in, a lot of people are establishing their own plans, right? Let's be honest. A lot of people are establishing their own way. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do where I, I want to go where I want to go. I'm going to, you know, whatever the circumstance is, it's all about me and what brings me joy and what brings me happiness and what makes me satisfied and what makes me fulfilled. And God says, wait a minute. If you will commit those things to me, I'll establish those plans. Because basically what he's saying is put me, what? First. Put me first. So why is it when we look at this, all right, I may ask us, what is it that we are to commit to the Lord? And in looking at these two verses, it pretty much comes to what? Everything. Everything. He gets first place in them. Now, why is it often hard to exercise these type of commitments within a lifestyle of following Jesus? Why is it often so? Has anyone else struggle with this other than me? Thank you, both of you. I struggle with that because I want to do what I want to do. And I think a lot of us do. Ask my wife. She can tell you. Ask my kids. They can tell you. I have all kinds of good intentions. I'm sincere in those intentions. And I end up doing so often what I want to do rather than what God wants me to do. Oh, he's a preacher. Yes, preachers are real. The bottom line is, so do you. And we need to work on it and strive for it and putting God first in everything, don't we? Why is it that we understand commitment in terms of our jobs and our vocations? But not as much in terms of glorifying an awesome God. It's really easy to think of it in terms of, I have to do good at my job. I have to do the job well. I mean, if the customer is going to be satisfied and if I'm going to get paid, I have to do it well. Because if I don't, well, my business may not have longevity. I may not last very long. Could it be that commitment to a job is often out of duty, whereas commitment to God is often out of desire? I think we can illustrate this biblically in a few moments. We're going to. But we have the mindset, I have to work. I mean, if I'm going to pay my bills, if I'm going to provide for my family, if I'm going to be able to get the things that, that would benefit us as a home, then I have to work. I must work. I need to work. And I put my energy and my life and my commitment into that, knowing that if I do that, I'll be rewarded. 
There is no forcing me to the desire to live for God. I mean, if I wake up this morning and read my Bible or pray or commit my day to Him, wonderful. But if I don't, who's, who's chiding me? But if you go to work that day and don't do your best, you're going to get hounded in some way or shape, aren't you? See, one of them comes out of duty. The other one comes out of desire. There's no one forcing me to desire God. It's a free choice, and choosing not to desire Him is often very easy, isn't it? Let's be honest. Whether or not we get up, whether or not we put our heart into it, man, it's just a choice. But see, the choice to serve God often has different consequences than the choice not to work hard at work. Could it be that commitment to a job provides immediate reward, whereas commitment to God is rewarded in the life to come? And so often we live for the here and now. Because that's where we live. Is that true? We live for the here and now because that's where we're at. I mean, how many of us truly, literally got up this morning and said, this could be the day that we go to heaven. This could be the day. We don't think about that. We don't think of our following and our commitment to God in those terms. Someone asked a question years ago, what if you knew that you only had 24 hours yet to live? You knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt, in 24 hours, you would not be on this earth. What would you do different? What would you do different? Seriously, think about that just for a moment. You'd get your things in order. You'd make sure that you communicated all the things that you wanted your loved ones to know. You would just kind of you know, put this in order and this in order and this in order. You're going to make sure everything is laid out to the best of your ability because in 24 hours, you're gone. What would you do different? And yet God's word says... Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27.1. So we don't have a guarantee. None of us gets up in the morning and says, Woo! I think today is the day I'll get in a head-on collision. Woo! Let's do it. So you're a nut job. Well, of course. Because none of us does that. That's normal anyway. None of us does that. None of us wakes up in the morning and says, This is the day that I'm going to be contracted with a deadly virus, and I'm just not going to be here in 24 hours. None of us does that. Because things happen every day that we don't plan for. Things happen to those that we love every day that they didn't plan for. People die every day that did not expect to die. They're called accidents. Called life. Being taken away. And yet we're committed to things that don't really matter oftentimes. Should we commit it to doing our jobs well? Yes, of course, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do the best that you can. That's biblical. When you go to job, your job site, you ought to do the best that you can do on your job. You as a believer ought to be work, working as hard as you can for your employer. You ought to do the best job that you can and be representative of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. But you ought to be equally invested and committed to your walk with the Lord and be committed to that. Culturally, we live in a reward-based society. If I do this, I'll get this. But if I don't feel like doing this, eh, no big deal. I don't feel like there's enough in it for me to really exert the energy in that area. Kind of how we think sometimes. 
Simply, other things become of greater priority, oftentimes in our walk with the Lord. Is that true? It's true for me sometimes. Let me just make this other statement. We're going to see these things lived out in the text here in just a moment. Just this commitment statement. Failure to keep commitments results in shallow excuses. Failure to keep commitments leads to shallow excuses. So let's just take a minute. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading with verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you to follow along. Um, Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. There is a ton of stuff in this passage, but I want to draw out a couple of things as it relates to commitment. And verse 15 says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I mean, that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, here they just had this um, reward. And in fact, you go back to verse 14, it says, And you will be blessed because you cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He says, Those of you that you, know, you came, you enjoyed, and your payment will come someday at the, at the Feast of the Resurrection. But verse 15, he says, man, we've sat down, we've eaten. Isn't it great? Anybody that's going to come to the banquet, it's going to be awesome. Then he goes on. Verse 16. Then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make, what's the word? Excuses. Let me just say that just for a moment. If you're a person who has people working underneath you, what do you least hate when they don't show up? Yeah, let's be honest. And I was just, we all know people who are master excuse makers. I mean, they can come up with a good one. I mean, really easy. Let's go on. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. And others said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. And can you imagine this servant? He's standing before his master kind of sheepishly and says, well, master, um, the servant said, what you ordered has already been done. And there's still room. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of food that was prepared for this banquet. I mean, we've got more food than we know what to do with. We've out there, we've been out there in the streets and we've been inviting in the poor, the blind, the maimed, the lame. We've been inviting everybody. Man, we still have tons of stuff right here. Then the master told the servant, verse 23, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in. Make them come in. So that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. I mean, can you see what's going on here? The, the first person, I mean, it sounds so great. I mean, I got this great banquet. There's food on top of food on top of food. I mean, I got this great invitation list, the who's who of Jerusalem, you know. I'm just kidding about that. So there's this you know, elitist of elite, everybody's invited. And they got excuses, they're not coming. Well, go find the lame, the poor, the blind. I mean, we're going to have a full house. 
they can't come. They won't come. Well, just go and make them come in. And they're not coming in. So the master gets torqued. Fine. Everybody that was on the invitation list, they're not going to enjoy what I have prepared for them. They're, they're not getting it. He's angry. But you look at the excuses that began to pour in. Verse 18, the first person says, well, I bought a field and I want to go check it out. How lame is that? Who buys a field without checking it out first? Sounds like a pretty good excuse. I don't want to go to that. And let's just face it. We've all had that family that invited us over that we really didn't want to go to. Trust me. You've all been there at least once in your life. But they're a distant family and you've got to go. Or it was a friend of a friend who committed you to being there. Like, oh, that's what's going on here. I don't want to go to that. Second person, I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. Well, who would buy five oxen if you knew that they weren't strong and healthy? Nobody. Not anybody in their right mind. But sounds like a legitimate, fair excuse, right? I mean, I'm going to go, hey, sorry, I know I get this banger going on. Got five oxen. I'm going to go check them out over here. Going to hook them up. Try to make a little portion of the field. You know, I don't want to be there. Third person, just got married. I have other things to do. That one's kind of the most legitimate of the three, but still, most young couples like to be social, right? They want to get out, have fun, go around, do things. They don't have none of it either. Well then, get the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. We did, and there's still room. Then go out and make people come in. And tell those who are actually on the invitation list, forget it. No. Failure to keep commitment leads to shallow excuses. Are these legitimate excuses? Probably not. Most would agree that they were not exercising commitment and they're coming up with shallow excuses. Then he goes on. I want you to look at verse 25. It says, Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Notice what Jesus is saying here about the cost of following him, the cost of commitment, if you will. You see, I think society, culture, and within the spiritual realms, within religious circles, they've messed this up. People have the idea that if you just say a prayer, you can go to heaven. Just, just say the prayer. I want to be careful here. It's not just about saying a prayer. That's included, I believe. Because in Romans chapter 10, it says, With a mouth confession is made to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, it says, Whosoever would call. There is an idea that we must pray. But see, that's just the start. It's just the seed beginning to take root. And then a relationship develops that is based on commitment. You see, if all I do is want to go to heaven so I don't have to go to hell, we're missing the point. If all I did was pray so that I can somehow land there one day, we're missing the point. It's about being committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying here. Are you willing to love me more than anything else? 
oftentimes when I do marriage premarital counseling in my office, one of the first things I do, and some of you have been through this, I draw a triangle. At the top of the triangle is who? God. At the bottom two corners of the triangle is who? The spouses, the man and the wife. You say, isn't that the desire of every man and wife to draw closer to each other? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what we want, guys, women? Isn't that what we want, to draw closer to each other in this triangle? Yeah. But how do we get closer to each other? By getting closer to God. As this man goes and works towards his relationship to God, and the woman works on her relationship with God, what happens to the distance between the man and the woman? It narrows. If I want to get closer to my spouse, I have to first get closer to God because that's the most important relationship. And when my relationship with God is not right, it's not right with my spouse. And that's the same for you as well. I need to be first and foremost committed to God before I'm committed to any other relationship on earth. That's the base foundation of our commitment. And what he's saying here, he goes, I'm not, I'm not telling you to hate your father and mother. I'm not telling you to hate your spouse. I'm not telling you to hate your kids. What I'm trying to reiterate to you is that you must love me more than all of these. You must first be committed to me, otherwise the rest of it will not be right. But here's the other thing that we often forget about this passage. He says, yes, even your own life. I mean, don't we have a pretty good opinion of ourselves sometimes? We're better than so-and-so. Oh, we don't want to say it. I mean, because that'd be breaking oceans. We don't want to be that. But in our minds, I'd do better work than him. I'd drive a nicer car than him. Yeah, my house is better than hers. I do this better than them. We kind of have a high opinion of ourselves. That's, not, that's ungodly. He says, even your own life, you have to love me more than you love yourself. And if you don't have that commitment factor right, nothing's going to fall into place correctly. He goes on here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's he saying here? You have to be committed to me more than anything else. What is Jesus saying here? Will you love me more? Will you be more committed to me than in anything else in your life? In closing, I want to look at three verses quickly. Number one, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. He says, write to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Let's stop right there just for a minute. God says, wait a minute. Half-hearted commitment. Mediocre commitment. That doesn't work. I'd rather you be really excited and committed or not at all. But when you're in the middle, what does he say here, verse 17? 
Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's like, oh, that's disgusting. But that's what he says. If it's a hot day, do you want to drink hot water, lukewarm water? I don't know about you, but I like cold water. I like cold drinks, right? He says, you're not hot or cold. You're just lukewarm. You're in the middle. And he says, that doesn't, that doesn't please me. It doesn't make me happy. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Why? Because when you're hot, everyone knows it. And when you're cold, everyone knows that. But when you're in the middle, kind of playing both sides of the field, it doesn't work. Why? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He gives the example of you can't be committed to both sides. You have to choose. You can't have it both ways. It's kind of like walking the fence post. One day I'm kind of leaning this way, the next day I'm kind of leaning this way, but you know, however it is, it is, but you know, I'm, I'm you know, just going. He says, you got to make a choice. You can't serve God and money. Does that mean you can't have money? No. He says you can't serve it. You can have money, it can't have you. And there's a huge difference with that, right? It's not about having things or not having things. It's about the things not having you. But that comes back to what we started with. Commit your works. Commit your way to the Lord. And he said, I'll establish your life. He says, put me ahead of these things and I'll establish your life. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5. Sometimes in our lives, we make a commitment and then we renege on them. Sometimes we say, yes, God, I will do. Fill in the blank. And then because of circumstances, because of our whims, because of our wants, because our desires change, because circumstances change, we say, ah, forget it. No big deal. Nothing lost. No harm done. And he says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 5, better that you do not vow a vow than that you vow a vow and not fulfill it. What's he saying here? Make sure if you're going to say you're committed, stick to it. Stick to it. Because it's better not to make that commitment, that vow, that contract, that anything, than to make it and break it. Fulfill your word. That's what he's saying here. We said in the beginning, all of us are committed to something or someone. Every one of us are. Maybe we have several commitments. But the question I want to leave you with this morning is, what is your commitment to the Lord? What is your commitment to him? What does that look like? Is he first? Or is he just somewhere in the lineup? Does he come ahead of everything else? Or is he just kind of scattered in there with? I mean, there's this commitment, this commitment, this commitment. And if I have time, I'll kind of work on this commitment over here. It's better not to commit than to commit and break. Fulfill your word. Be a person of integrity. And knowing when we commit our way and when we commit our activities, when we commit our life, 
He says, your plans will be established. Why? Because you're putting them behind your, your commitment to me. You notice in these verses, he's not telling you what path to get on at the moment. He kind of gives us parameters along the way throughout the word. He's not telling us where to go necessarily. He's saying wherever you're at on that journey, that, that path, that, that, that course, put me first. And all the actions and activities of life, put me first. And when you do that, I'll, I'll honor that. I'll bless that. I'll establish it. But when we try to set ourselves up first, make sure that we're taken care of, make sure that we're pleased, I don't know about you, but it just causes more struggle and angst and frustration. I don't know about you, but there, I think it's because there's so many things in life I want to control. Anybody else like that? I want to control it sometimes. And God says, let me deal with it. Let me have the, let, let me have the control. And I'll take care of the rest. What is it that you're committed to? If it's not the correct priority, what would God have you to do as a result of it? Maybe God is saying, put me first this morning, and you need to make that commitment. And let me just say this for those of you who may be visiting with us this morning. Some of you come a lot. Sometimes you come sporadically. Whoever you are, whether you're here every week or here once a year, the greatest commitment you could ever make is a commitment to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. That's the starting point. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you made a commitment to following him? If not, say, well, how do I do that? I say it often as simple as ABC. First thing we teach our kids, other ABCs. I know you're a kid and grandkids smarter than every other kid and grandkid. But we teach them our ABCs, right? A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for those sins. And C, two things, confess your sins before him and call on him to be your savior. It's real simple. But that's where it starts. Admitting, A. Believing, B. C, confess and call. Simple prayer. Lord, I call on you. Let's pray.